You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It has been suggested that a good environment produces a good society, free of strife, free of immorality, free of poverty. Well, listen, this argument is disproved here at the close of the millennial. The population is living in a perfect society during that thousand year reign of Christ. And yet they're easily deceived by the devil and thus they turn their backs upon God. Men have had some great ideas for solving some of the problems we've confronted through the years. Medicine is more advanced than ever. Human rights abuses, though sadly still a huge problem in some parts of the world, have largely been removed from developed nations. You could say we're doing pretty good, but then you turn on the news and it seems like it's all bad. Today, Pastor Mike will remind us that this is part of our nature. Only Christ can eradicate the root of the problem. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 20 as he begins his message, The Great White Throne. I remember what you said, you return that I might live in my Father's house. Last time together, if you remember, I mentioned that this chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20, can be broken up into five different incidents or events. Uh, First, we have the removal of Satan, which is recorded first in verses 1 through uh, 3. And then secondly, the reign of the saints, verses 4 through 6. And this is where we left off uh, last time. Uh, We covered those two aspects last Sunday. And so now we're going to talk about the last three uh, aspects of this chapter, and that's going to be our focus this morning. And once again, what are those three last aspects? Well, the return of Satan, the revolt uh, of society, and then lastly, the resurrection of sinners, which is also known as the second resurrection. Okay, so with that said, let's get to it. Let's begin in verse 7, and this is where we, picked, uh, where we left off last time. Now, when the thousand years, that is the millennial kingdom, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. Okay, so during the millennial uh, millennium, that is the thousand-year reign of Christ, the earth will experience the answer to millions of prayers that Christians have prayed. What am I referring to? 
Well, that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what has just happened here in the order of things is the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. That is that wonderful chant of victory. There in heaven they cry out, thy kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So peace and righteousness at last among all nations and all people. But now there is added this most amazing prophecy fulfilled at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, and that brings us to our first point, and that is Satan is to be released from the prison that was holding him. Notice in verses 1 and 2. I'll read that for you in just a moment. And he will return to the earth. But for the last thousand years, he's been bound and cast into the bottomless pit. Let's go back and rehearse that one more time for you in verses 1 and 2. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Okay, now, that should raise the questions in our mind. Why in the world must Satan be released and permitted to return? I mean, after all, he had already been bound. He had already been cast into the bottomless pit. Uh, The millennial kingdom had already begun. Jesus had already come back. He established his throne there in the city of, of Jerusalem. Things have been just going wonderful. It's just been great, right? Jesus has been ruling over the entire earth. So why in the world release the devil and permit him to return? Well, think about this. There were companies of people who survived the Great Tribulation period, as I had already mentioned in one of our previous studies. And by the way, that's exactly who the saints, that would be you and me, are ruling over, enforcing God's laws in Christ's kingdom. That is, during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Go back to verse 4. Remember last time, last Sunday. We are told, and I saw thrones, and they set on them, and judgment was committed to them. That would be you and me. That would be the Old Testament saints, uh, the New Testament saints, and the tribulation uh, saints. Those are the ones who have been given these thrones, uh, who sat on them, and judgment was committed uh, to them. And in that millennial kingdom, remember, the curse has been lifted because of the original sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of uh, Eden. It once again became the perfect environment during the millennial kingdom. Remember, I had mentioned last time, there's no death for a thousand years. There's no sickness. There's no food shortages. There's no wars. There's no crime. People are given to marriage. Women give birth to children. The earth that had been depleted by the cataclysmic judgments during the seven years of tribulation is once again repopulated and restored. But every citizen, think about this now, but every citizen of that millennial kingdom who survived the Great Tribulation, who participated in the thousand-year reign of Christ, was forced 
to obey God's commandments. And it was not by choice. Remember, in one of our previous studies also, in chapter 19, in verse 15, we are told that Jesus, during the millennial kingdom, during the thousand-year reign of Christ, will rule with an iron rod. So they don't have a choice whether or not to obey God. They must obey God, and God's laws are enforced. And so now, God is going to give men and women a chance to prove and test them. Now, again, to answer that question, why must the devil be released at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ? Well, once again, so that to that end, Satan is allowed to go forth to deceive the nations once more and lead a rebellion against God. So that's the reason why Satan is released at the end of the millennial uh, kingdom. Now, that brings us to our second point, the second incident that's recorded for us here in this section of Revelation, and that is the revolt of society. Okay, let's go back to our text and pick up in verse 8. And will go out, that is the devil, to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now, don't be confused about this. Gog and Magog here, the mention of these uh, two Uh, nations, these are mentioned as prophetical enemies of Israel. And in the book of Ezekiel, in chapters 38 and 39, the battle that's being described uh, in those chapters seemed to be distinct and different from this final uh, battle that we're about to read about in just a moment. So it's as if John seems to borrow this term, Gog and Magog, and uses it as a symbol. It's symbolic. Because the event that's described for us in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, that battle that takes place there, actually happens before Christ's return, possibly during the tribulation period. So it's not in a chronological order here. So I want you to uh, understand that. So those names are synonymous with rebellion against uh, God. And again, once again, in Ezekiel 38 and 39, they are identified as Russia, as a leader against God's people in the last days. So the names are just used in a symbolic uh, fashion. So let me once again read chapter 8. So don't be confused by this. This is completely two separate uh, battles that take place. And will go out, the devil, to deceive the nations, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them uh, together to battle, whose number is at the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And then the devil, who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Again, all of this is taking place at the end of the millennial kingdom, after the thousand-year reign of Christ. And they are cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, amazingly, and this is something also I want you to think about, even after a thousand years of righteousness 
and a peaceful reign, Satan, by his deception, is able to discredit God's dealing with mankind and thereby lead the nations astray in a revolt, in this final revolt that's being described for us here in this section against God. Now, just a side note, it has been suggested that a good environment produces a good society, free of strife, free of immorality, free of poverty. Well, listen, this argument is disproved here at the close of the millennial. The population is living in a perfect society during that thousand-year reign of Christ. And yet they're easily deceived by the devil. And thus they turn their backs upon God and embrace evil. Listen, gang, what do we take away from this? Well, simply, human nature is depraved. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In Romans chapter 8, in verses 7 and 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So what's the problem today? The problem simply today is in the hearts of man. That's, that's, the, that's the answer uh, to man's ills. It's the heart of man. And, and that's why men everywhere need a heart transplant. And the only thing that can produce that in an individual is the gospel, the effect of hearing and embracing the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, Satan inspires men to war against God. And notice the attack is against Christ's throne. Set in the city of Jerusalem, notice the reference to the beloved city. The beloved city is Jerusalem. Notice there in verse 9. Well, anyway, this assault is quickly ended. God sends fire down uh, from heaven and this uprising is totally uh, destroyed. There are those who come against uh, God, deceived by the devil, is absolutely devoured. And then without further delay, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. Notice there in verse 10. And he's there with his accomplices, the Antichrist and the false prophet. And also notice that he is tormented there night and day forever and ever. Listen, gang, forever and ever is a long time, isn't it? The one who has brought untold sorrow and suffering to all mankind must now suffer for all eternity without relief. So that's the second event that I wanted to draw your attention to here. Now, the final event here in this chapter, and this brings us to our third point, is the resurrection of uh, sinners, also known as the second resurrection. All right, let's go back to our text, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, 
by the things which were written in the books. Now the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, or hell, delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of uh, fire. Okay, so these verses before us are among the most solemn anywhere recorded for us in the Bible. They tell us of that dread and final judgment that is the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ. Okay, so this morning, let's take a closer look at this event. First of all, I want you to notice it is called a great throne, the great white throne of Jesus Christ. It is called a great throne. Now, why is that? Well, because the sinners, and I want to emphasize this, sinners, not believers, but sinners who stand before it have rejected a great salvation. And thus now they have to stand before a great judge to listen to their final sentence. Also, it is called, notice, in the further description of this throne, a white throne. Why is that? Because everything connected with this throne will be righteous and uh, true. Let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. And the idea here is that Jesus is judging those who have rebelled against God. In the ninth Psalm, in verses 7 and 8, we have a prophetical announcement concerning this event. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. And then also, as another cross-reference, from the book of Romans in chapter 2, in verse 5, also uh, describing this event for us, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of uh, God. Listen, the treatment the unsaved receive here at the great white judgment throne of Jesus Christ will be just and fair. You know, going back to chapter 19, just quickly, in verse 2, remember there in heaven, as God is purging the earth and judging the earth, and there comes this chorus Uh, from heaven that declares in chapter 19 and verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments. Listen, there's no question in heaven as to the fairness of God. You know, so many people, you've you've heard the conversations, you hear people talking about, you know, calling into suspect whether or not God is fair. It goes something like this. If God is such a righteous God, a fair God, why has he allowed all of these things to take place upon the earth? Why is this taking place? Why is that taking place? Why has God allowed this to come into my life? Why do people have to suffer? Well, listen, all of those things are the result of sin. God isn't the initiator of those things. Listen, whatever God does, you can be sure that God is fair. 
And so there's no question concerning the fairness of God uh, there in uh, heaven. So the treatment the unsaved receive will be just and fair. So the greatness and the whiteness then are suggestive of power and purity as it relates to that uh, throne. Now notice in verse 11, we are told there, and he that sat upon it. Okay, so who's sitting upon this throne? Well, it is the eternal God, the perfect judge. And I believe that it's Jesus himself. He will be the judge, which is the logical conclusion. I mean, think about it. It is he who opens the seals. Remember back in chapter 6 and verse 1? It is he who treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God, according to chapter 19 and verse 15. I mean, no one is better suited or qualified than Jesus for this task. Having done all that he could do to save man, he is the one whom those who rejected him must now face as judge. But notice the further descriptions here. Let's go back to our text in verse 11. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And so this awesomeness of this throne and the one who is seated upon it are so great that even the heaven and earth flee. Now, I got I to say, I do not know all that is involved in this phrase that's recorded there for us in that text, the earth and the heaven fled away. So for me to give my own opinion is simply and merely uh, speculative. But in that day, all mystery will have cleared away and we shall know exactly what this refers to. But then also, verses 12 and 13, we are told, and I saw the dead. Now this would be the uh, unbelieving dead. And I saw the dead, small and great. Uh, So whatever their position was in life, rich or poor, educated, uneducated, uh, whatever position uh, they have uh, in their life's experience. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the sea gave up the dead, which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them. And they are the judge. That is the rest of the dead, which is mentioned in verse 5 of chapter 20. You see that there in verse 5? the rest of the dead. But again, I want to emphasize, it is important to note that there are no saved among them. They are the wicked dead, and they are raised to appear at this last judgment. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. 
You can listen online at oneplace.com by searching for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you have any questions for us, just give us a call at 212-247-1877. We'd be honored to pray for you too, so feel free to let us know how we can do that for you. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links at harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place.